You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Nathan, can you believe we've been doing this 15 years now? 15 years of TFL, at least TFL car. Yeah, exactly. And in this uh, podcast slash video, we're going to be talking about the best cars we've driven over those 15 years. Now, I I want to put a little caveat on that, which is um, there are cars that stand out because they were something special to us or something special to the audience or... First time driving a car of that caliber, and you'll understand when you see this list, because otherwise it'd be like every year would be like Corvette and BMWs or whatever. So yeah, we have a bit of a mixed up list here. Yeah, uh, and um, I just want to do a little like um, shout out to all of our fans who watch this uh, as a video and to all of our fans who listen to this as a podcast. Uh, Now keep in mind, like last week, we did an auto show podcast where we did a walk around of the Chicago Auto Show. And a lot of the podcast fans were unhappy because obviously they couldn't see it. Ah, uh, yeah, good point. And a lot, and, 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 and the exact opposite happens when we do one where we're in the studio like we are today, <laughs> and there isn't a lot of like visual interest where we're not walking around cars. So I would suggest to you guys, if you're our fans, you can go to alltfl.com and you will either click on the video version or listen to the podcast. Uh, so if you really don't like that we're at an auto show walking around and you can't see what we're pointing at, just Mm -hmm. watch the video. Yep, that's a good point. Now, speaking of videos, almost everything here on this list, we've done a video on or videos on, and so you'll be able to click around and find them. The thing about going to alltfl.com is uh, only recent videos are up there in recent stories, so a lot of the ones we're going to be mentioning go all the way back to 2009. Speaking of that, let's start with 2009. Yep, and... Roman and I, when we first got together and started doing videos, one of the earliest videos we did was a Mustang versus a Camaro. Unfortunately, we had a Mustang GT convertible versus a Camaro RS. And it was just like, it wasn't the best pairing, but it was the best we could do at the time. Um, That was a very different TFL back then. But the car that really stood out to me was the Camaro RS because at the time, 2009, this was a very new car, and it pointed a new direction for Chevrolet, and I think for us as well. So that's one of the reasons that's on this list. Yeah, uh, you know, I love that car. 
The very first car, Nathan, that we got uh, as a test car, long before we actually were doing videos, when this was just a blog, uh, get this, was a Chrysler Sebring. You remember the Chrysler Sebring? Unfortunately, I do. And it, it had it had cooled cup holders, and maybe they were chilled and heated. I forget. It was, Ooh, it was crazy. I like forgot the, that that had cooled cup holders. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, that was like a German thing too. Like a lot, there were some German cars that. Well, that makes sense because back then it was Daimler Chrysler. And I figured out the reason we had that Sebring hmm. was Paul, who was the fleet manager at the time, uh -huh. would never give you like the top car. He wanted to make sure that you didn't that you could deliver on putting together something that would be a return on his investment. Yeah, or you know, he didn't crash it into a tree at excessive speeds. Or take it off-road when you shouldn't. Well, uh, God, how did I ever get other cars? Uh, <laughs> so the, let's go back to the Camaro, though. Yeah, the Camaro, I mean, th that was a V6, and it was the one that we were given, well, it was the RS. So it, it was like a mid-level. It was not the best car in the world, but, man, well, at the time, we drove the hell out of it. Uh, I took it to the track. That was right when um, the, uh, whatchamacallit, track opened up uh, down east. High Plains. Uh, High Plains, thank you. Uh, I brought it over there. I, I did everything I could with it. And the, the irony of the, it wasn't even the high-powered car, which we, later on we got really high-powered Camaros. I think this was Chevrolet's way of saying, yeah, let's give them this one to begin with. And But that was really a way of kick-starting this little um, video production uh, and company. It, it also kind of uh, started something that became kind of a signature of ours, not because we wanted to do it, but because we had to do it, and that was mashup reviews. Yeah. So I think a lot of people – think we're two kind of goofy guys who don't understand that a convertible Mustang doesn't compete with a... Well, especially V8 versus yeah, V6, Yeah, right? we, we get that. We understand that 8 versus 8. But the way that the press vehicles work is that uh, they don't have competing cars most of the time, if not all the time, dare I say, in the press fleet. So you kind of get what you get and you make the most of it. Back then, that was very true. It's not as difficult nowadays thanks to the fact that the fleets of here have grown significantly. And with the hard work of, of Zach, the producer and whatnot, we are able to get cars that compete far more often than not. But back in the day, man, we couldn't do it. No, it was, um, it was almost uh, impossible to get cars. In fact, I think we did some damage to our uh, Porsche relationship when we compared a 911. Do you remember what we compared it to? Was it a Hyundai? No, keep going. Uh, I can't, I'm trying to remember what we did. We, we were, was I it think the we, yellow Porsche? Yeah, it was that's the yellow Porsche. That's on this Porsche. list. Yeah, we, yeah we, that, that's actually... We were little. hopped up on Top Gear, and yeah. so we compared it to something. Oh, my God. Yeah. You remember? Now you remember? Yeah, a van. We compared it to a van. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I don't even remember why we did that. Um, <laughs> like that turning was, circle? Yeah. It was something like a turning circle. The, well, that Porsche is going to come up in a second with some other... But because that was a good year for Porsche for us, and then a bad year as well. Well, well we compared it to a van. <laughs> I yeah, I, I think that I think they were really ticked at us for a while. And back then, it was really hard to get Porsches. It well, still is. It still is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we yeah, that's a whole different thing. Okay, well, let's let's go into to 2010. Okay. Um, that's when we had the Chrysler 300C SRT8. That was the very first version of that. And I recall both of us had a great time with the car, and we took it up to uh, Wild Bill's grave. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that was yeah. a lot of fun. Um, you know, the uh, SRTA Chrysler 300 is a special car. It's a car that is about as American as you could be, right? Built in Detroit. It has a lot of presence. Uh, and of big course, big honking V8. Big honking Hemi V8. Uh, and, you know, over the years, as these cars have become cheaper, 
we've kind of gone back and bought some of them. Yep. That's what, you know, that's how we know what cars to buy because we knew what cars we loved back in the day. Uh, the problem with that car is it just got the wheels driven off of it. You'd be very hard pl- pressed to find a 300C SRT8 that doesn't have at least 150 miles. And those dudes are hard miles. People drove, yeah, exactly. people drive drove them hard. the crap out of them and they just beat up on those cars. And in many cases, they could take it. Actually, Brendan and I did a video on one of these cars on uh, TFL Classics. And that poor thing was beat to well, hell. Well, not just that, but like not just not only were they beat to death, but they were smoked and they were vaped, and you yeah, know, God knows what else happened in those cars. Well, in many cars that happens too, but uh, yeah, and, and it, it, it it seems like the three hundred um, C was just sort of a glutton for punishment, and boy, did it's just they were they were good cars. Uh, I don't think that some of them uh, have survived because of some of their. Well, owners. so we should talk about what was under the hood, right? So there was well, that's a, exactly a giant Hemi. Yeah, there was a three. There was a regular three hundred, which was of course the luxury. Uh, kind of boulevard cruiser. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then because I think Ralph Gilles actually, uh, this may have been... I think that's one of Ralph's, yeah. Yeah, and, and because of him and because of all the work he was doing with the SRT, they decided to put a much bigger Hemi, 480 horsepower, if I recall. It, it's something around that, yeah. And, and, but, but bear in mind that we're also talking about a... Pre-Hellcat. Um, yeah, pre-Hellcat, and just a lethargic engine that was just like happy to cruise around all day long at like 1,700 RPM. But if you put your foot into it, it could absolutely right, go now, crazy. I, I, I'm going to Google it now. I okay, need, well, I, while you're Googling you it. You know how um, many horsepower that thing had. Now, a couple things that happened. Um, eventually, and I only put the 300C uh, SRTN on this list once. And there really were a few different models that were out there. And Roman and I also went to the event uh, at a track where it was at Button Willow or, or something like that. Where uh, they, uh, Willow in California, that yeah. That was it, Willow. Um, and that was the updated one. Which 470. I was only off by 10. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. Oh, um, yeah. But the bottom line is that that car was it was muscular, it was fairly comfortable, it had a nice interior, even the first generation. I thought it was a hell of a car, and it was also a major bargain if you looked at a lot of the German and Japanese competitors back then, what they offered for the money. This thing gave you crazy power and you know, a nice, nice, comfortable environment. Unfortunately. Quality wasn't quite up there with um, yeah that was that was what let it down. So it had that six point four liter Hemi, right? Mm-hmm. The, the big old heavy, big old heavy. Yeah, the problem with it was that the interior was very much parts bin, and so they gave it they gave it some like Alcantara, I think seats. Yeah, or, the headliner was uh, the yeah. seats were nice leather, but, but all, all the all the switch gear was yeah, still was still pretty cheap. Was still like rent a car, which yep. those were by the way. But yeah, uh, and so so you know you can dress up. Uh, um, uh, a racehorse, but it's never going to be a derby contender because, you know, it doesn't have, even though I shouldn't say that, right? I mean, the, the bones of that thing were the old E-Class that eventually evolved into the Hellcat. So I guess it maybe did have the bones of a very powerful muscle car. And we will be talking about these bones a little bit later. The next one on our list, this is a car that I think really changed a little bit of, of TFL. I, I, I truly believe it. And that was a 2011 Audi R8. The one we had was the V8 with the manual transmission. It was white. Yes, I remember. And it was beautiful. But the thing about it was, it was, I think, the first car that both Roman and I were almost speechless on. It was so attractive. It was relatively comfortable for a supercar. Um, one of the best gearboxes ever. I mean, I loved shifting the thing. It was an actual bolt-action feeling to shifting gears. Uh, drove amazingly. We did as many videos as we possibly could with it. And we, we adored it. We really, truly adored that car. But the thing that was important for the organization is that with TFL, 
we now were in the supercar league driving a vehicle that was just beyond our expectations. Yeah, um, two thoughts I have about that car. First, you remember the one that we had? Maybe there was a next generation where the suspension com- completely. We took it out to Rabbit Mountain and we were doing some like uh, acceleration tests. I think uh, drag racing. Uh, anyway, uh, and uh, the suspension—it was a silver one—and the suspension completely collapsed on it because it, I think Motor Trend had it before us and they took it on the track. Oh no, no, that, that was that wasn't an R8. That was an S8, or that—that that, that no, was no. the big sedan, and that thing had crushed exhaust on it. And it had like curved wheels. That thing was beat to hell. But that was the big sedan. Yeah. Yeah. This is the R8. This is the two door oh, supercar. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. Yeah. Um, well, so, but that was around the same time that we so, had. So, it. this one, the R8, we took to the Stanley. Yes, we did. Remember? We took it up through the hills. We took it, um, we, God, we took it all over this area locally. We took it to Stanley. Um, and we also uh, had the Gallard, Gallardo engine. V10 that they put. Yeah, that was that was later on. That was about two years later that we had that one. I actually preferred the V8. I thought it was easier to drive. I've been looking at those to purchase as well. Yeah, the convertibles are actually cheaper than the uh, coupes, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. To be honest with you, I always thought convertibles would be worth more. They're like 60k now, so uh, you can get one of those. But the problem is they look pretty dated. Like there's a little tiny screen. Yeah. You know, and uh, it just starting to look a little dated for that first generation of R8. But I do love that car. Mm. I, I agree. I would go. I, I don't think I needed the Lamborghini engine. It doesn't. It doesn't give you much more power. If I recall, it just gives you much more kind of prestige because now you can. It, say, it was hey. louder. That was for sure, and <laughs> it, 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 it was quicker. But it was. But I felt like the V8 was just happier to be thrown around corners. Maybe it was a little lighter on its toes. And especially with that manual transmission, it was just so sweet. It was the sweet spot of supercars. And once again, you and I, I think we're starstruck with what was an excellent car. And that leads to the next car, which may be one of the best sports cars ever, uh, despite the fact that we probably shouldn't have compared it to a van. And that was the 2012 Porsche 911. Um, And at that same time, that same year, we also had the Cayman R, which was a crazy car, and the Cayenne. And that was the first Cayenne that I had actually driven personally. It was a GTS, I recall. Yeah, and it was it was it was crazy good. It really redefined everything that we knew about crossovers and SUVs. Uh, the Cayman R, that thing was so lightweight, no stereo. I believe there was a air conditioning delete that they decided to leave. Thank God. It even didn't have door handles. It had inside these little flaps. I remember. Like, yeah, they like still do fabric. that. Yeah, they, they do like these little like leather poles. Uh, instead of door handles. Because those grams are going to save you. Yeah. But that's the whole point of the car. It's a super legere car, right? So so I remember falling in love with that 911. It was very yellow. Very yellow. Uh, and then remember, we were looking for a place where we could actually do some uh, like acceleration run safely. And we, we came yeah. upon a parking lot in the middle of like Commerce City in Denver. At the racetrack, at the uh, dog racetrack. At the dog racetrack yeah. or yeah, wherever that was. Oh, yeah. Uh, that didn't work very well because the problem with parking lots is even though they feel like they're pretty straight, when you go... Uh, you know, across them in a very kind of quick manner, you'll quickly find out that they're very uh, undulating. <laughs> well, they're not built for high speed. They, no, you not. know, it's, it's not like a runway or no, a racetrack. Exactly. Yeah. And back then we were still figuring ourselves out. And we used that place a couple times, but for the most part, we were just kind of figuring out what we needed to do and how we uh, should move on. But the important thing is, is that 911 was, by definition, a proper sports car. And as good as the... Um, Audi R8 was, that Porsche was every, just as good. But the real difference to me was I, I think that the the curb appeal of the Audi R8 was a little nicer back then. But once again, 
we had a bunch of Porsches in 2012, and that was yeah, I can't believe we did a van. I I got why did it was we a red uh, Nissan uh, NV if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, God, that Nissan NV. So uh, we had, we we had that van a lot. We'd used it a lot for a, uh, several different things, but that was. I think oof. we were trying to be Top Gear, and we tried to come up with something clever. Something uni- unique, unique, and, and, and funny. it wasn't Top Gear or clever. It was, no, just it was terrible. Yeah, it was just terrible. Yeah. Um, um, so let's move on. Because sorry, Porsche. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Uh, we've can't, learned a lot since then. That, that was that was a while ago. Yeah, I can't start out being Top Gear. No, no, we can't all be Clarkson. So. No. Um, 2013. Now, this is an interesting year because Ford had promised for years to bring out a hot hatch. And we knew the Europeans had it, and we had been jonesing for it. And we actually talked to a Ford exec the year before who said, yeah, yeah, we're going to get one. And we didn't really believe him. And then the Ford Focus ST showed up. And what a baller car that was, man. That thing was insane. Just crazy amounts of torque for a small four-cylinder hyper-turbo engine. And it was remarkably fast. It was bright yellow. We had a really good time making some videos with it. It handled wonderfully. I know uh, for many of you guys, actually, uh, that it wasn't the most reliable car on the planet. I still see a couple of them here and there around, but I certainly see a lot more GTIs. The GTI is a lot more buttoned down than that one, let's face it. But it was a great car. Um, And at that same time was the first time that you and I drove the Tesla Model S. Yeah, that was because of Dan Buxbaum. He, yep. he lent it to us. That was quite the game changer. I remember getting into that thing, uh, thinking to myself, wow, this is something that I've never experienced before. This is something that is completely different. It was, even back then, it was crazy quick. It, it was insanely fast. And what happened was earlier, and I didn't include it on this list because it was crap. Uh, we drove, one of the very first cars that he and I drove together and did a video on was the Roadster, the Tesla Roadster. And we actually took that up and over um, the Continental Divide, and but, on summer tires, in a, in a, there was snow on the ground, and that car was worth, what, $150,000? Yeah, exactly. And there was a, the, the problem Tesla had, and it's the same problem that Lucid has right now, is uh, when they came out of the box, and I think this is why it took them so long to actually uh, get rolling, because the, 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 the bones of the vehicle were always good, right? The technology was good. Mm-hmm. The build quality, of course, wasn't great, but the design was good. Uh, the utility was good, but they always felt, at least to me, in those early days, like unobtainium. Like, like they were so expensive. And I know the Roadster was 150, but that Model S was also over 100 back then. Yep. Uh, and then the Model X came along, and that was also over 100. And so it felt like uh, Tesla uh, started at the wrong end of the spectrum. And I feel like Lucid is also doing the same thing. There I, I are a lot of startups who are doing that. They're bringing out the most expensive version first. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. And then they're like, well, then we'll tempt the people who actually really need this vehicle later. And I think it's a terrible idea. I think it should go the other direction, personally. Yeah, and now, and now, granted, Tesla's done well, but I think their model is unique. And I don't think that other people... first. Exactly. And I don't think other people following it will work even, as well. Even Rivian, same problem. And mm-hmm. once you you know, once you know, set the brand's uh, kind of reputation as being unobtainium, a lot of people won't even consider it, right? Exactly. It, it just becomes like, oh, it's a good car, but... You know, it doesn't mean anything to me because I'll never be able to own it because the car cost ninety thousand dollars. Precisely. So, what after we drove the Roadster and we were both like, yeah, some of it's kind of cool, but a lot of it was not great. Then we, you know, a couple of years later, we drive this Tesla Model S and it just blew our minds. Um, but once again, way out there. But something came along shortly thereafter, and this is a very interesting time because this was right when a lot of uh, social media was really starting to kick into high gear, 2014, in terms of people going out there and introducing photos, spy photos and everything, and putting them right online. And something happened at Jeep, because somebody walked around inside the plant and took a picture of the brand new Cherokee well before it was supposed to come out. And it wasn't a very um, complimentary or flattering picture. Yeah, because it had that, which is now commonplace, but back then was very unusual design, where the headlights were kind of looked like giant fog lights and the and the uh, turn signals or the little you know and the driving, driving lights, lights yeah. uh, were actually above the headlights so you were like well, forever the turn signals and the driving lights were below the headlights now it's flipped around it looked and and that particular I think it was white or silver or something it just didn't look great and it was a very uncomplimentary picture and it hit the internet so the, the immediately you know the backlash was huge so Jeep had an event and uh, you and I went, and shortly thereafter, we got our hands on a 2014 Jeep Cherokee uh, Trailhawk. And that was a remarkably good off-road-capable crossover. At the time, it was one of the most capable off-road vehicles in its class, uh, only recently being usurped by the um, Ford Bronco Sport their top trail version of that vehicle. But for years, it was like if you wanted a crossover, basically a car, um, that could actually do some real off-road, not, not super serious, but pretty serious off-roading, that was the vehicle to get. And at the same time, I had a little personal favorite vehicle that came along. I don't know what it was about the design of this thing, but I loved 
the Chevy Sonic when it came out. <laughs> I remember. With those angry the, little headlights. Remember we had the turbo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was the RS turbo. Yeah. I thought that thing was so much fun and such a screaming deal for what it was. I know that it had reliability issues, no surprise there. But it was a hoot to I drive. Think it was a Korean car, actually. Oh, yeah, it was Korean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, the same thing goes for current uh, Chevy tracks. That's also Korean. Um, but still a lot of fun to drive. And I, I, just, I really enjoyed it. That's a personal thing. But then we move on to 2015. Now, we had already driven a, a Nissan GTR prior to that, about two years prior. But this was when the GTR Nismo came out. And we got our hands on that. And then shortly thereafter, we drove the Lexus RCF. Both those vehicles, I think, had balance in terms of one is super high-powered luxury. One is just an ultimate supercar. Um, both those vehicles were just incredible at that time. And I'm going to throw one more in there, too, because that was around the same time that we started driving Hellcats. Yeah, yeah, that was, I remember we went to the Portland racetrack mm -hmm. uh, and we were uh, doing zero to 60s and we, even back then we couldn't reach what, what the published numbers were. Not even close. We had, actually, we had one of the chief engineers try to hit the number and he even could, he couldn't do it because that car just couldn't hook up because it, it was so undertired, right? Yeah, back just, then especially. When yeah, they didn't the, have the wide body yet. Nope, they didn't, which yeah. is on this list as well. What was really funny was that um, <laughs> at the time, I, we, we're still pretty close with people over at our Stellantis, but back then we knew a bunch of the Dodge guys, and they brought us in right before the event, and they had like Red Bull and donuts from Voodoo Donuts and all these other things. Basically, they wanted us to have caffeine and sugar in our systems before driving a vehicle that had over 700 horsepower uh, at a racetrack, which is a perfect thing to do with a bunch of journalists. Um, we even got a chance to take it around the track and, and drive with uh, professional drivers sitting on our right, and uh, that went really well. Uh, we didn't crash. At least we didn't, uh, knock on wood. <laughs> Somebody crashed, if I remember Yeah, right. I there was a few people put them into the wall. Um, but it was it was, it was a we huge remain thing. nameless. <laughs> I'm not going to. Because we don't want our names coming out. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be nice. What comes around goes around. Exactly. I try, I try to be nice. I think it was an important time because at that point, we had never driven a vehicle with that much power. Yeah. And the fact that this is an all-American car with a big old American V8. This is just blew us away the, the numbers that they were coming up with. We, at, you know, I kept thinking it was a misprint when we first got the um, the information on it, and that really led the way for many years of this whole Hellcat thing, which is now officially going away. Um, you next one, can I do a rant? Yes, I'm please. Rant a while. Yeah, hit it. All right. So um, we've been driving a lot of different cars recently, and um, they've had some interesting features, but more importantly, they've had some interesting missing features, especially in expensive cars. So my question is why do automakers scrimp on stuff that somehow you touch? I understand when you would scrimp on stuff that's maybe like hidden and you don't see it, you know, like you know, like maybe Sirius XM or something where you know you could probably live without it. But the stuff you touch in the car, the stuff that makes the first impression or truck, that I don't get. And I'll give you a couple examples. Do you remember when we had that uh, Ford F-250 with the Godzilla you're going to talk about the steering wheel. Oh, yeah, the, the plastic steering wheel. And I think that was an XLT. It. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, and I agree with you. That thing felt so chintzy. And so it, it, it actually felt like something out of the 70s or something, a really hard Bakelite or something. It was weird. Yeah, it was this crappy plastic. We actually went to the trouble of replacing that steering wheel because I hated it so much. And I would eagerly pay $1,000 more to have a nice leather-bound steering wheel, even on a basic car, because that's the thing I'm touching all the time. Yeah, it's a good point. I and, mean, having a nice, nice 
surfaces to touch when you're touching them all the time, like the steering wheel, really does make a difference. Another one that, that is huge to me because I have a bad back, and I think a lot of people have back issues, why do they skimp on lumbar? It's such a, it's such a you don't have to have the, the inflating pillows. You, you know, all it takes is just a little, you know, bar that pushes. Mm-hmm. But it seems like that's the one thing that many manufacturers decide that people don't need. I'll give you an example. We have a Ineos Grenadier, which we paid $80,000 for. It has no lumbar. Who, who, for, a, for an overlander, Nathan, who thought that was a good idea? I think the Europeans take a rugby ball and shove it behind their back, and that's how they get the lumbar. <laughs> it might be true. Yeah, I, th- I think that's what they do, right? And, uh, you call it rugby, right? Um, I'll keep going. I got more. No, no, please hit it. All right. How about when they have power seats on the driver's side, but this is very common, manual seats on the passenger side? Yeah, my car has that. Yeah, why? Why? It just it just feels like you know what it feels like. It feels very cheap and very cost cutting. And you just say to your lovely wife, "Honey, I, I, you sit there while I drive, and I will you know move my seats up and down electrically with a touch of a button while you're struggling to you know reach behind and and do the recline and then you know reach underneath and and do the do the it just seems so asinine just if you're going to spend the money on a power seat do them on both sides all of these things uh, do you have any more because i i can answer both of these okay keep going, keep going. Okay. these are all tactile things right yes, these they're, are things they're where tactile you touch. but they're also you're talking about features. While I agree with you with many of these, especially being married and having my wife complain endlessly when she goes into my car and talks about having to adjust the seat. I'll give you the cl- most classic one. Okay, go ahead. So I was just in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, and I got into the new Model 3, the refreshed, I guess, internal code is Highland, right? Is it the hi- oh, Highland. Okay. Yeah. 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 You, you know what the most tactile thing they're missing? Hmm. A turn signal stock oh. and a uh, uh, wiper stock. There's just something so satisfying about, you know, flipping a stock and then the car goes tick, 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 right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to pushing a button on the steering wheel. It's so freaking lame. I agree with you. Okay, so I have a simple answer for most of these. And that is cost. Yeah. Now, I, I, know, I, know, now I know that you and I both agree that it's, it'd be pennies for them to include these things. However, to somebody who's pushing pencils across the table, trying to find ways of getting that car to come in at a lower price for the manufacturer, the easiest thing to do is say, well, let's make A, the passengers suffer, B, let's take things away that we can replace with simple tech, and C, why not just put a cheap plastic steering wheel in there for those people who aren't willing to pay extra for the you know, Lariat or whatever. And that's the bottom line. It's all about money. That's the only reason why they're doing it. I agree with you that it makes people uncomfortable, which is why... I like certain automakers that give you a lot of that for the money, and I reward them by saying that out loud. Hey, this is a car that gives you a lot for the money, including you know, power seats or a really nice steering wheel or something like that, when other vehicles coming in at the same price don't do the same thing. And, and here's the other thing that, that I've been listening to this uh, podcast called uh, Car Pro. It's really interesting. People, it used to be, it's a call-in show, right? And people call in uh, and they ask for car buying advice. Mm-hmm. And Nathan, I'll be damned if not one of these people actually thinks they're going to own a car less than 2,000 years, right? Because like, I don't think you can even get a longer than 10-year 
uh, warranty on a vehicle. Like every one of these people, the one thing that they really want is, I want the car to last at least 200,000 miles. And first of all, I'd get bored much sooner than, you know what I mean? I mean, mean, you're asking for these things that in your head – you you think are something that that is going to save you money over the long point, but who keeps their car for two hundred thousand miles? And, and I know you people will be out there. There's always somebody. I have a five hundred thousand mile F one fifty. Well, good for you, but the majority of people, first of all, can't get a loan for that long. Yeah. And he, and here's what happens. Okay. Here, here's here's what ends up happening. And and this is happens to all cars, even Toyotas. Right. Mm-hmm. You, the, the car depreciates so much. Yes. Right. That after. It, most cars after seven years have lost at least half their value, in if many, not more. In many cases. If not more, right? Right. But within 10 years, the car is so depreciated that even if it's reliable, a small repair will cost you more than actual lease on a new car. Mm, yes. You, you see the problem. Once upon a time when the repairs were hard and cars, you know, people didn't swap out cars, of course the logic was, I want to make this. I remember listening to Click and Clack, and they were like, it's always – you know, cheaper uh, to keep your old car than to buy a new car. Not anymore, dude. You know, and, and one of those screen, one of those screens breaks on your ten-year-old Tesla. That's two and a half thousand dollars, and the car is probably not worth two and a half thousand dollars, if 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 not more. I'm saying the screen. The screen. Yeah, I I, I get what you're saying, um, and I we, think that, that, that there's there's because we live in this disposable. You know, I'm yeah. pulling up my iPhone. Unfortunately, we live in a disposable. Society where you know the right to repair is just starting to kind of slowly kick in, but you know realistically, a twenty-year-old vehicle, even something as simple as uh, you know doing all four brakes, will probably cost you more than the value of the car. Yeah, I don't know if I'd use brakes as an example because doing all four. Yeah. You know, and I'm just talking about. I'm not talking about just doing calipers. I'm talking about doing rotors, which at that point you're going to have to do as no, well. I did it recently in my wife's car, and I spent a small fortune on it. And her car is a 2015, so we are talking about getting up there in years. What uh, that cost me 750 bucks for the mini to do rotors and pads. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, and but that was with a lifetime thing from Briggs Plus. It was actually a lot cheaper than doing it at the uh, the dealership. wanted about sure. a thousand bucks. Of course. Okay. So uh, agreed with you on many of that. But the, the other bottom line is that uh, there's an awful lot of vehicles out there that actually, you know, are far cheaper to own and just keep putting a little bit of money in here and there, as opposed to trying to get the credit together, trying to make sure that you can actually afford a vehicle that costs you two, three, four, five hundred dollars a month. Um, it's the best car in my mind, to ever own is the one that's paid off. That That is just the bottom line for all right, me. All right. I'll give you another example. Okay. All right. We just bought that Mercedes GL. Yes, you did. Right? Uh, we paid $8,000 for it. Yes, you did. And we just put $2,000 into it. Yes, you did. Yes. 2000 because what happened was uh, when it got really cold, it refused to start. Mm-hmm. So we took it to Toby, and he said, uh, you blew your fuse. And I'm like, woohoo! we'll just replace the fuse. And he went... Uh-uh, not so quickly, my man. Mm-hmm. The reason you blew your fuse is because that usually means that the starter is going. So guess how much a starter is on that car? $1,500. $1,500. Plus it has two batteries, which are also going. <laughs> that was another 500 So we just spent $2,100 re- replacing a starter. And this is a problem with luxury cars more so than, you know. True. And what year is that? 2008. Okay. Now, Roman, if I bought a 2008... Toyota Camry. Yes. And its starter went out. 
It would cost me about 200 bucks to replace the starter. Then uh, this is not a reconditioned one. This is a new one. And probably another 100 bucks to install it with having a professional mechanic put it in. Battery would probably cost me about 250 bucks if I had to replace the battery for some reason over at Ace or not Ace, uh, one of the other advanced auto places or whatever. And thus I would be spending far less money than you. It really depends on the car. It depends on the complexity of the car. And let's face it, your painful obsession with European vehicles is expensive. And if the, that was a Japanese car or even some Korean cars, it'd be far less expensive okay. to maintain. Okay, let me give you the counterpoint to that. Yes, please. So you buy an old Camry yes. and your starter goes out. Yes. And, uh, you know, when you have somebody like Toby or Devin, who another mechanic that we've used over the last 15 years and we trust, mm -hmm. yes, $200. You take it to your local Joe's corner repair shop. He's going to charge you a thousand dollars because the hammer schlechter is misaligned. Okay, now, <laughs> now that, but that's a totally different topic. But that's what's going to happen well, that, it because can he, happen. he sees it, you coming or she sees you coming a mile away, right? You've got this shitty car that, that pardon his language. You got this crappy car that you need repairing. They yes. see you coming a mile away, and they they will they they, they just they will, will try to exactly I, believe me. I, I get that, but the other side of it is. If you are informed, if you do your due diligence, you're able to walk in there and they say $1,000 for the canooter valve. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And and another eight hundred dollars for your um, your, your coil for your exhaust or whatever, and you're like, oh, these things don't exist. Bye bye. And you give them a really bad Reddit thing or whatever, and you move on to the next one. There are mechanics out there who are trustworthy. And one thing that I do recommend to people who are a little concerned about mechanics is a look at their ratings online, and b if all no, else fails, I, you I, can go into I, a dealership. I, dude, I've given up on ratings. Come on, that ratings. Um, once upon a time, I know that some of them because because the own, the owner of the place is going to pay nine people to, to yeah, give them a good rating. They, I get they're it. They're a joke now. Come but on. you can usually find if. If you really do your due diligence, you can look around a little bit and you can talk to people and you can find a good mechanic who is fair. They do exist. But keep in mind that you have to compare prices for these components and go to more than one mechanic, just like you would a doctor. Can I give you another example? Please. So I was recently in a dealership where I walked in and the first thing that struck me was that they had no Monroni's on any of the cars. Hmm. I think that's actually illegal. <laughs> I don't. I think that's that, strange. I think that's illegal. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think you, you can have. Is that here in the in Colorado? I, I don't want to. I don't want to like. I don't want to go into where it was. Of but, course not. Okay, because they might have guys come after you. I don't. <laughs> I, I'm just saying there was a dealership uh, <laughs> that had no Monroni's on their windows. Uh, so so what, what what you're saying is you know that that uh, that, that 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 everybody is scrupulous. 
And the problem is if you I'm, buy a $500 Camry, you already didn't do your due diligence because if you, if you did, you wouldn't buy a $500 Camry. Ah, but maybe I would. We actually have a video that will be coming out in the very near future with our man Brendan going out and buying a $500 vehicle. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yes, and so stay tuned for that. That's going to be coming did, out. Did you actually make it back from the auction? I, well, I don't want to say. I don't want to say. I don't, that, this is important. I am a firm believer in the potential of used cars as long as people have a little bit of mechanical acumen. But, 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 but for those of you who don't, there are still plenty of good cars out there that have 100,000 miles on them. But you really do have to check around and talk to people. You know, hey, did you get a good deal from this mechanic? You know, yes or no. But people don't, people don't do that. Yes, they do. Every so often we get an email, and this is us, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, hundreds, if not thousands of comments a week where they'll email us and they'll ask us to suggest a good mechanic. But yeah. I think most people... Probably just, anyway, the reason I brought out the dealership was because you were saying, like, ratings. Mm, yes. Uh, and then I went to the website, mm -hmm. uh, and the ratings were not good. Ah. Yeah. Well, I, no, no, yeah, never mind. Okay. Well, let, let's continue on to this list. I've gotten uh, myself into, yeah. a, into a swamp of contradictory logic. Yeah, he, yeah, but that's nothing new. That's nothing new. That, yeah. That's normal. All right, let's keep going. He didn't take his Geritol today, guys. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Do people still take Geritol? I don't know. You tell me. What is Geritol? It's a vitamin for brain and function or something. I'm saying like people, that. it's like Prologen or something. There's, I mean, Geritol, you are so dating yourself. You're making yourself older than me. I don't think people even know. I don't <laughs> they still make the stuff. I know that. I don't think I even tell you would know what Geritol is. Of course. Prevagen. I think that's like the next, like, is it, Roman? Uh, you talk. I was, it was, there was an ad for it that I was watching, I think, in the Super Bowl. Okay. I think it was. By the way, can I, can, I, can I mention one yeah. ad that I absolutely yeah. love? Yeah. There was a Kawasaki ad yeah. for their side-by-side. Oh, that side was great, yeah. Where the guys were growing mullets. Yeah, and I incredible. thought it was just, out of all those commercials, many of them I did not like. I got to be honest with you, I love Kia as a car company. Man, that commercial was so self-serving for rich people. But the Kawasaki commercial where they're growing mullets when they're just banging through the woods... Awesome. I highly recommend checking it out. I saw the Volkswagen one. They didn't actually show a new car except for the very end. No, that was kind of interesting. I, it was kind of a love story of the Beatle and everything else and going through time. I, it was cute. When, but did they start when did they stop selling the Beatle, huh? <laughs> I know. It's been a while. You tell me. <laughs> I mean, why are you, I, I get that they were going after the heritage. but Yeah, I know. I, I kind of feel why, like. Why mention the Beatle if you're not going to bring on a new Beatle? And, and then Volkswagen. you know what they did at the end? They showed the uh, ID Buzz and right. they said New York 2024. Yeah, that's going to mean, yeah. So but I, but it's, it was in LA, like 2022. <laughs> it was, but and it was in, um, it was in. It was Chicago in Chicago, a year before that. <laughs> Volkswagen has their heads in the wrong space when it comes to the ID buzz. That should have been here three years ago, and uh, the, but that's a whole different conversation. I know my, my free advice to Volkswagen, which they won't take, is just sell two cars: the ID buzz and the Amarok, and you can. <laughs> Seriously, forget about everything else. <laughs> and you'll, well, you'll, the, you'll, and you'll sell twice as many cars. Well, the ID and trucks. seven is that it? Uh, the sedan? Yeah, the that's seven. coming soon. Um, and our buddy uh, Motoman actually got a chance to drive it, and so you'll have to stay tuned and hear about that. Let's go back to this list um, and finish this up. So we were at the ah twenty sixteen Volkswagen. Speaking of Volkswagen, the Volkswagen Golf R. We bought that car. That was a great car. I thought. Uh, what was that mark? What what mark was that? Was that five? Uh, it was with the two liter turbo. Uh, it replaced the VR6. It was this generation that replaced the, v the VR6. You know, right? the one to get is the Mark 7.5. That's a sweet spot. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's a sweet spot in Volkswagen or the R32. 
That's the other uh, one. See, the R32 is or, one of the, because it had a Hunkin V6. Or the first one, but those are really hard to find. I've heard people say that the R32 is actually really sturdy, like it's like strong. And you can, you know, some of these other ones are a little bit on the delicate once, side. Once again, um, used and modified and hard to find. Slammed. Slammed, and, hard yeah. to find any way or shape that is original. <laughs> yeah, that we, we, we've, we've seen our share of uh, abused Volkswagen, both GTIs and R's. Well, because they become daily commuters because they're so they've got such a high bandwidth for everything. Yeah, right. They really are the best vehicle that Volkswagen built. I, I just don't like the new one. I'm sorry, I can't stand. Well, that it's one. better. They fixed some of the problems. No, but they, they they made it ugly. I, <laughs> oh, the look you don't like. It, no, they didn't it, fix aesthetics that. Aesthetics matter. I can't yeah. go to the prom with somebody who has a really good personality if I can't look at her face and not go <clears throat> a little bit in my mouth. I know, I know, I'm one to talk, but come on, guys, you got to admit. The new Volkswagen Golf, in general, that headlight design is dreadful. It looks sad, pouty. Mm. Okay, so let's move on to 2017. You got a chance to drive this vehicle, and I thought it was really interesting because it was a real bit departure for the company, and that is the Bentley Bentayga. Yeah, we just had it for Christmas, remember? We, we had the had lengthy, it. the longer, Wheelbase newest one yeah. one, yeah. But this was right when it came out, and they took you to the dunes. Yeah, and we filled, it filled up with sand. <laughs> yeah, you it was pretty crazy. out of it. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty crazy. I kind of like that one better than the new one. I do too, yeah. I, think, I, I, I don't know what it is, maybe the looks or what, but... Uh, the one I remember is a Bentley Continental uh, R. Remember that oh, one? Oh, yeah, no. that was good. Actually, my favorite is the Mulsanne. Oh, the Mulsanne. Oh, oh, yeah. I, I got lucky. A friend of mine let me drive one, yeah. and it was they, – they rarely – cars like that don't show up here in Colorado. No, no, no. Uh, California, yes, and that was where I drove it. And I absolutely fell in love with it because it was one of the – it was the best driving luxury car I'd ever driven. And it wasn't – it's not quite this, the same thing as the Continental, which, which is a showstopper, right? Or even the Bentayga really catches your eye. This one's a little bit more subtle. And oh, what a great driving car. But anyway, but in terms of video, we have uh, Roman driving in the dunes in the Bentley Bentega in 2017. That was crazy. Yeah. And then we took it on the track. I mean, I, I got to give Bentley a lot of props for letting us do something that nobody has ever done with the Bentega since. No, no, not since. No, not no. that I know of. No. Um, like jumping sand dunes and, you know, whirling it around a racetrack. Really full opening, boil. It, yeah, yeah. opening yeah. the taps on that yeah. thing. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. Yeah, that was very cool, especially because we didn't have to pay the bill for whatever damage Roman did. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, a little. Uh, so next one is the 2018. This is a really important one. We were just talking about this earlier, the wide-body Charger and Challenger. And if you recall, we went to an event in Portland, Maine, uh, where they had that track not too far away, that track in the hill. Mm. And we shot a video there, uh, actually a couple videos, where we were taking that, uh, the, the wide bodies on the track. And talk about night and day, very different types of experiences where they almost handled as opposed to not handling at all. It's pretty funny just how much uh, energy and money um, Dodge put behind kind of trying to prove that the muscle cars could actually go around a corner, which, yeah. they, which they could compared to like the 60s muscle cars, but certainly... I think they probably would have been better just to lean into the drag strip as opposed to trying to go. No, I see, I disagree. I, yeah. I, I love the fact, and I, actually, if you look at their sales numbers, when the wide bodies came out, their sales numbers started going way up. Yeah, but that's because they looked like that classic Coke bottle shape and not because necessarily people felt that these but were But they good were also cars. able to do higher top speeds with those vehicles because they had more rubber on the road and they changed the aerodynamic profile of them. So the, not the Challenger, but the Charger now had a 200 mile per hour top speed. Uh, I mean, think about it. You are buying a car 
for basically the same price as a BMW 7 Series, and you're able to do all these amazing things with it and take your family comfortably places. I thought it was incredible. And they went around the track quite well, but it wasn't as rewarding as driving, say, a Camaro or a Mustang of the same caliber around the track. Those were much better track cars. Let's face it, they were lighter and they were lighter on their toes and frankly had better feedback in terms of steering. But I really, really liked the wide-body cars. I thought that there was a huge departure and a really important vehicle for uh, FCA at the time. Well, I think it's hugely entertaining to take one of those on the track. Yeah. I don't think it's usually fast, but it certainly is hugely You are going to leave a lot of rubber around the places. Yeah. Now, switching gears, <laughs> um, let's talk about a vehicle that I think almost everybody at TFL, it's including Zach and it's including Tommy, absolutely adored. And that was the Ford... Mustang GT Bullet. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Remember that green yeah, one? Yeah, oh, my that God. That thing was so great. And what was great about it, it wasn't the very top. There were still faster versions of the Mustang at the time. But an, a combination of everything, something that could go great on the track, you could drive every day. It had a nice interior because it was that limited uh, bullet uh, livery and everything else. It was such a great car, and we all were jostling for the keys. What a great car. One of my favorite Mustangs you know, you know, of all time. You know, for me, Mustang does kind of the same thing that Porsche does. There's a little bit of FOMO, right? So it's like uh, I can think of at least five lustworthy Mustangs, and maybe it's too many. So, yes, the Bullet is one of them. But then you're like, well, how about the California Special? Not the current one, but the previous one. How about the Boss 302? How about the GT350? How about the GT500? You see the problem. How oh, yeah. about the Dark Horse? There's just so many different variations. And, uh, I mean, it's a great way to sell cars, but you kind of feel like I've got the bullet, I've got the ultimate Mustang, and then they come and drop a GT350, and everybody yeah, freaks but, out about but that. But we even knew, even at the time, we knew that that wasn't the ultimate Mustang. But, I mean, I talked to a lot of the Ford guys, and the, a lot of them loved that car as well, saying this is our favorite. Now, bear in mind, there was an earlier bullet, much, much yeah, earlier. Yeah, not the, not the previous generation. No, 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 that was still on the Fox body. Yeah. Um, no, this is a totally different vehicle, and... It, you know, it basically had the same uh, powertrain that uh, our previous Mustang had and our new Mustang has, kind of a in between those two years, um, those two generations, I should say. Um, great car, wonderful car to handle and throw around a track. I just absolutely adored it. But what's interesting is that leads to an all-new revolution that you and Tommy got a chance to experience first, and that was in 2020, the Corvette, the all-new Corvette. Yeah, so I, I've been doing a lot of thinking about that. I I kind of really fell in love with the C7 uh, because it was such a uh, such a well uh, engineered. I'm going to say almost GT car versus a sports car. Hmm. Whereas definitely the C8 is you know an all-out sports car, right? You've got mid-engine designed. But as I get older, I kind of enjoy more the GT than I do the sports car. Uh, so uh, my neighbor has a C8, mm -hmm. beautiful car, uh, but dude, getting in and out of that thing. You know, just the statement it makes going down the road. I mean, it, you know, um, maybe too much wing. You know, that's like it's like having a GT3 911 on the road. Just too much wing. It it it, it kind of feels like you're trying to be a race car driver when you're probably not. Well, and it really it, is the American Ferrari. It is. It really truly but is. You see, I think once upon a time, that was a cool look to have as much. Um, Aero as much. Sure, back in the 80s. Fender as much tire. You know, think of the old 911s as much rear whale tail. And now I think uh, the, the pendulum has swung to the point where if you're, because a lot of, a lot of like kids are buying these things, YouTubers, I guess, I don't know, whoever has 
a lot of money to spend when they're very young, and all of a sudden it feels very immature and it feels show-offy as opposed to fast. And you know, it doesn't feel like a serious track tool. It just feels like a tool. A couple things about this car. It really was a moonshot. It showed what General Motors can do. Uh, at, and it was at an unusual time because that was around the same time that they announced they're going to move to an all-electric uh, future, which is right now up for debate. But regardless, at the time, this vehicle went from being a front engine, basically GT car, as Roman said, to a mid-engine slash rear engine monster that really was closer to a Ferrari than the previous Corvette. Um, very different looking uh, no more manual transmission, which some people still bemoan, including me. Uh, but And at the time, even the base model version of that was still an incredible bargain for performance. The amount of performance you got out of that thing was absolutely unreal. And its driving characteristics are on another level. It really is one of the best uh, sports cars that General Motors has ever built. And there's all these different versions of them as well. You know, now we have technically an all-wheel drive one, which is a hybrid, and we're going to have an electric one coming, I believe, next year. So, I mean, all these things are happening, but that vehicle really started a brand new direction for Corvette. So so two things there. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, um, like I said, for me, the sweet spot is probably the C7 Grand Sport. Grand Sport's wonderful. Yeah, so because it's got the wide wheelbase, it looks good. It's got enough power for me. And the second thing is, if you look behind us, there's a picture of me with the Bronco. Yeah. The first generation, first edition Bronco. Uh, and I, I just chose the Bronco. It could be any off-roader. And the reason I picked that for me uh, is because, and this is why I'm kind of inserting it here, unlike the Corvette, off-roaders actually have usable performance that I can take to... 10, which is a cliche, but I can actually use, right? Mm-hmm. I will never use, unless I go to the track, which I won't, all the performance of a C8 Corvette, no matter which one. Yeah. Forget the Z06. I mean, just even the base one. But with that Bronco, you can go off-road and you could lock the, you know, triple lock it and you can uh, disconnect the sway bar and you can actually use all of the technology and performance that, that is baked into that mm-hmm. or any off-roader. And that's why I love off-roading because I can actually use the cool stuff that the car has or truck versus not use it and just feel like I'm driving around with all this capability that I will never, never be able to touch or feel or appreciate. Which is indeed you. Um, and that's, It is me, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I know a lot of people who really do like to, to go on a little sojourn where they are flying down the highway, going to a track, doing their thing. I know these people personally, so do you. And there are plenty of people out there who want that sports car or the topless feel or a mixture of the two or want a GT car or want the best of all worlds or as many worlds as they can possibly get. So I just find that the Corvette is a game changer for Chevrolet. And it was a really big video, videos, I should say, for us. So, I, I you know, Nathan, I, we know people, including people in this room, that have taken Corvettes above the speed limit and maybe quite a bit above the speed limit on public roads. Just a hair. But whenever you do that, you're very nervous because I'm nervous about not just, you know, what can happen, but about, you know, the, the legality of it. Whereas when I'm off-roading that... I feel completely fine because I am using its full capability, and yet there's nothing 
that is illegal or dangerous. Or, okay. Now, now look. Except, except a black bear pass. Okay. Okay. And that, that and is, the, that is hair raising. And never mind the fact that when I had the TRX, I never went above the speed limit. When we drove the Raptors, I've never <laughs> went These above are all the hypotheticals. Speed. Come on. Come on. All right. Let's move on. Right. Because the next one is an off-roader. And that's the Chevrolet Tahoe Z71. And the reason I'm putting this in here, it's, it's a little bit more of a truck than it is a car in terms of where it lands with us. Has a frame and whatnot. Um, but it's a very unique vehicle for Chevrolet because at the time, that was when they introduced the independent rear suspension. And this one had a very interesting locking rear diff. It wasn't your regular G80. Uh, we took it off-road. It did quite well. It was a bit of a departure for, once again, Chevrolet. And it blew our minds because we didn't expect it to be quite as good as it was. And at the same time, it was just very unique. And many of the vehicles we do review on car are off-road vehicles, you may have noticed. Um, and that is just one of the ones that I think really angled a new direction. Also, it was ridiculously expensive. Yes. Um, and you'll note, this is not a comprehensive list of all the vehicles. I mean, no. I, there's, this is one that Nathan put together. There are others that I like the G-Wagon Squared. That's Absolutely. G-Wagon should be on. That and comes that, to mind immediately. Sure, sure. Yeah. The G-Wagon was, was remarkable. And its predecessor was remarkable as well. But, <coughs> pardon me, the next one on the list, uh, and this is an important one because... I never thought it would be on a list like this in terms of a favorite, but this is because it blew my mind, and I think you agree, is the 2023 Toyota Prius. I did not expect that car at all. I did not expect them to design a very good-looking vehicle, and it is absolutely sumptuous. Beautiful design. Drives nice. It's not fast. Even the Prime, it's quick. But for what they managed to do, I think it was one of the biggest surprises I personally had at least at TFL. I think that's the most surprising car of the last two years. Maybe, yeah, maybe I would more, agree. Five years even. Just because we didn't expect it. Yeah, it just came you know, out of the it, blue. Yeah, it looked like a concept car, yeah. something that would never be built. And all of a sudden, there it is, driving, and it's driving well. There are problems with it. For one thing, at least personally, I'm a big fat guy, and I don't fit in it very well, especially getting in it because it's a sports car in terms of its raked windshield and really low entry height. The previous model, and we did a video where we actually put it against the previous model, um, is much more comfortable, especially in the back seat. So you do sacrifice a few things to have this really sleek body, but in return, it is more powerful and gets better mileage. I think it's 50-50-50, or 52-52. 52-52. Oh, mileage, yes. Yeah, so yeah. I think it's City 52, Highway 52, Combined 52. Incredible. Yeah. Or 50-50-50. One, one of those. It's just incredible. Yeah, it's it's just a... And it it is the reason why... Whenever you want to talk about the argument between electrification, don't electric, you know, whatever, that sits right in the middle. And that vehicle represents everything right with electrification. For those people who really want amazing mileage and rarely visit the gas pump, that's your car. It's so well done. So I, I, it's just worth it being on the list. Did you did you skip the Chevy Tahoe? or did No, you? I shipped, I totally skipped the Jeep Grand Cherokee. I don't know why I did that. So no, let's talk about the Grand Cherokee. I thought you skipped the Tahoe. No, I, I mentioned the Tahoe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Jeep Grand Cherokee, I did not mention. Okay. Maybe it was the other the one. The Jeep Grand Cherokee was another one of those things that totally blew us by. No, no, we do a lot of Jeeps. That's why I put it on here. Sure, there's plenty of Wranglers. I was going to mention the Wrangler. The previous generation was a, the JK. Is that the, pre, the one that we took to? Yep, JK, JL. So the JK, uh, we did a thing called Motor Mountain USA where we drove to all 50 states, the highest point in all 50 states. Yes, even Hawaii and Alaska. And. That was hard. We did that years ago, I think back in 2014. 
Um, yeah, and that. we did that, yeah, in that Jeep. And, and many of the states we towed a small trailer, which was a mistake. Yeah. Um, not, a, not a good tow rig. No, no, not a great tow rig. But, but it we, was the first time we attempted to do something that extreme. Could, and Can I suggest if you are thinking about getting a Jeep Wrangler and thinking about towing with it, even though they upped the towing rating to 5,000, it's still, it's just the vehicle, you know, with that soft suspension, it's just not designed to tow. If if it's rated at thirty five hundred pounds, don't go above a thousand. That's my recommendation. <laughs> you can go five hundred, yeah. fifteen hundred, maybe five hundred more. This, it's just <laughs> the, the springs. Nothing about that vehicle. If you really want to tow and you want a Jeep product, the the Gladiator, Gladiator is yeah. the way to go. Yeah, that's, exactly. that's it. That, that's it. That's your answer. Yeah, that it really is. All it. Right, what's the last one on there? The last one on this list is twenty twenty four Lexus GX five fifty. What an amazing another, vehicle! Another complete surprise. Complete surprise. Basically, everything we wanted early on with the previous uh, Land Cruiser and didn't get, this is it. It's just so good. Um, and, yeah, and then, of course, there's Land Cruiser as well. But we, I wanted to mention this one because we actually have some time with this. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, Toyota's done three about faces. So Seriously. The Lexus GX, which was more of a kind of a luxury suburban kid getter, now is especially with the overtrail, has become a complete off-roader. Yep. Uh, of course, the Land Cruiser, which has basically been cut in half in terms of price, it's gone from about 100 k to 55 k and, and the Prius. So before we finish this up, Nathan, I want to I run something by you, and I want to get your take on this. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, um, we, we, we're kind of living in this moment where there's a lot of pushback against electric vehicles. Yes, I've seen it. So, so a lot of people are like, a lot of people are out there saying, you know, we went too far too fast. Uh, and so the sweet spot, and this is the common thinking, is that we should be all driving hybrids. It's like a, like a baby step toward electrification. I would agree. Uh, plug-in hybrids right about now. Or plug-in hybrids. Yep. Uh, and yet, yet, uh, there's also this kind of trend right now toward reliability. So people really want reliable cars. And I think that's because cars have become so expensive that if you're going to spend the average new car prices come down a little bit, but it's still in the $45,000 range, yeah. you want something that's quality. Sure. Right? So you want something that's going to last. And then the reality of those two trends kind of colliding is kind of in, in consumer reports testing is that the most unreliable cars in terms of longevity, in terms of cost of ownership, are hybrids. And if you want to go even worse than that, it's a plug-in hybrid because the complexity just you know exponentially increases when you have two powertrains or at least doubles, and then when you have a plug-in one, it increases even more. Yeah. So it's funny. It's kind of ironic that like the simplest car in some ways are electric cars because there's so few moving parts, and you know if the only thing that's going to go wrong with it is a battery. And yet Tesla batteries have been around for 15 years and they do just fine for the and, most part. And yet now people think that the you know the best and the most Reasonable purchases are either hybrids or plug-in hybrids, even though they're in, at least consumer reports testing, by far the most uh, cost-prohibitive in terms of long-term ownership. Uh, yeah, but you have to check on some of the maintenance that they're talking about because in many cases it's not the drivetrain. The drivetrain on uh, the Toyota Prius has been labeled as one of the more reliable drivetrains out there. Keep in mind that there's something that you guys may not know. Which is the amount of energy that the gas engine is putting out is being assisted by the electric motor. Electric motors tend to be really reliable, and they usually are pretty long-lasting. And if you are using the electric motor to supplement the amount of power that's being put out with the gas engine, you are actually making that engine stress less. 
As such, you can get greater reliability. There are plenty of hybrids out there that are Priuses for the most part, or Prii, that are well past a quarter of a million miles. We've done videos on one that was over 300,000 miles. Yes, the batteries are problematic because after a certain amount of time, well, they will hold less charge, especially in plug-in hybrids. Because they use lead, well, Toyota uses lead acids for some, of, for most of their hybrids, which should be well, less problematic because they've been nickel metal forever. hydride was what Toyota's really st stood behind for many, many, many years, and they still do actually. They 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 still love that battery um, because it is a very strong battery, and they have very few problems with them. But regardless of all that, I will say this, that I don't agree with uh, Consumer Reports and their perspective because you're not looking at the whole picture. If a vehicle is mechanically reliable, that is a huge thing, and they don't mention that right away. There are electronic bugs that these vehicles have that have nothing to do with their mechanical systems well, in some cases. Consumer Reports, the way they get their data is they... Uh, they pull it. They, they survey their uh, members, yeah. right? Because it's uh, and they ask them, "What car did you buy? Did you have issues with it?" So I, I, I'm sure it's broken down more granularly than than the way I'm displaying it. Sure, but, but um, I mean, I, I I think that they're relatively valid. Uh, and once again, now we're getting into this weird conspiracy world where, like, some people say consumer reports are just you know paid for shills, and they say that about us, they say it about everybody. But mm -hmm. I, I, but just logically, it would seem that let's say that yes, you're right. If you have an electric powertrain, you don't use the gasoline internal combustion engine as much. Mm -hmm. But there is that also very tricky combination of both, where you go from one to the other. Uh, and I think you're seeing a lot of issues with, I'll give you an example, the Wrangler 4xe's. I'm, I'm, at least anecdotally, <laughs> okay. I'm hearing a lot of problems that people are having because that is a very complicated system. That is a very complex system. And also, let's face it, Stellantis slash FCA has had some reliability issues in the past, we've heard. Um, but I'm, I'm not, I don't even want to go on the preacher thing about whether one thing works better than the other because there's different systems that different people use. The PHEVs that you're seeing nowadays are different than ones that were built just a couple of years ago. And, and let's talk about electric cars just for a second, okay. even though it's not in vogue. So as you know, the new Macan or Macan came out, uh, and I believe that, or and the Taycan, uh, both the electric version and the gas version, the Macan, and of course the new Taycan, um, that is all electric. And Porsche made this interesting statement. They said that the car can now recoup up to 30% of the energy that you put into it. So let's just, I, don't, it's, I think it's got a 111 kilowatt hour battery, but let's just say it's a 100 kilowatt hour battery because that's easy mm -hmm. for this example. So if it can recoup with regenerative braking 30%, that basically, let's say it had 100 miles of range, which it doesn't, but let's say it did, that means you now have 130 30 yeah. miles of range. And yet, Formula E cars, if I remember right, I think they recoup anywhere from 60 to 80%, which is incredible. So imagine if you could take that same technology, because a Formula E car doesn't even have rear brakes. It has, uh, I don't know if it even has front brakes. I think it just has two motors, and the front one uh, is regen. So it uses it to brake the vehicle and to regenerate power, and the rear one is a drive unit. Uh, but imagine if, if you could take some of that technology and put it into a, a modern electric well, I, car. Well, I think we're seeing, beginning to see you, that. You could now. get to 50% more regenerative you know, power. So let's say you've got 300 miles of range. That's 450 miles of range. Yep. That, because you're adding 50 you know, times. That is, that is all theoretical, but it's all based on logic, which I totally get. Um, he, he, here's no, real. no, it's not theoretical. It's real. No, okay. it's not real yet. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's real. Formula E cars. Formula E is not a car that you drive daily. Um, it is a completely different construct in terms of 
the amount of energy you have to put into it, when you put the energy into it, how much energy you're putting out of it. But it's still going down the street weight. and turning and braking just yeah, like yeah, you would in a regular car. Yeah, of course would. But that vehicle, it, it's, a, it's a completely different thing. But that technology does trickle down. We've proved it before. Well, We've seen yeah, it before. Yeah, a Formula One. All, all forms of racing really do... Look, Show. All I'm saying, Nathan, is like with internal combustion, we've seen you know a much greater explosion of fuel economy now that we've got turbos and you know. But th- that number is still nothing compared to what you could potentially get with regenerative optimization. Oh, sure. Where, where Among you're in- other things, where you're increasing range by fifty percent. Sure. Which means you're cutting energy use by fifty percent. That's unheard of. In addition, solar cells are becoming more and more uh, capable of storing more energy in a more efficient manner. Wouldn't that be and, cool if you could actually power a car with solar Well, cells? you're starting to see that a little bit with, with some of the components on vehicles, and it will grow. Um, this is We're still crawling with, with electrification. I'm not against it. I'm not for it. I'm right in the middle. Um, so you're I, a hybrid guy. Well, no, I'm not even that, frankly. I, I like, let me put it to you this way. I was just in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I had the uh, Genesis GV70 EV. Might be one of the finest EVs I've ever driven. I love that vehicle. Me Absolutely adorable. Yeah, yeah the, but this is this is the you know, their SUV version right, and yeah. everything else, right. and everything have, about it's great. It's its range isn't great, but otherwise, I mean, it's like two hundred and thirty miles, yeah. but otherwise, fantastic. And I'm driving it around California. You and, and California is like pushing. They got a gun to your head. You have to go electric. You know, they're pushing it, and I get it. You know, they're trying to be clean. All right, fine, whatever. Um, great car, driving around, everything's cool. It can do 350 kilowatts charging. Yeah, those, those chargers don't exist. For they don't exist, exactly. Thank you very much. I drove all over California. I was losing my mind. There, there may be a video that we'll see later on. I went to one 350 charger plugged in. I was at 95 kilowatts. I just sit there just waiting and waiting half an hour to, to get up to 80%. There are other places where I could get up to 150, even though it was advertised 350. The thing is, is that the automakers have gone and bent over backwards to give you a car that can charge super fast, potentially. Well, did, you, did, you, did you condition your batteries, Nathan? Did the I, car condition? I, I did everything I could okay. to make sure that it was doing it right. The point is, is that we still are not at a point at a place where you're able to go into one of these places, plug in like a regular gas station and be out of there in 10 minutes. Doesn't exist. Uh, not for your regular consumer. It's not the car companies that are doing this. This is actually the the infrastructure, which I still think is screwed. So, so, I think that there's a car for anybody right now. And this is the good news. If you live in California and you don't need to drive long distance, then having an electric car makes total sense because you can plug into your house. If you have a house, then you can use that as a gas station. Great. If you do need to go long distance occasionally, you get a plug-in hybrid or a hybrid. You're good. And for those of you who still need a burly truck or something that has just real power and can go long distance, you can still get diesels and you can still get, you know, V8s or whatever you want to get. I think this is sort of a golden time right now where we're on the edge of having to go into regulation. But also that's being pushed back a little bit, too, which I'm kind of happy to see because I hate it when somebody's telling me you can only have one powertrain. So having a choice I think is great. And I think that automakers are going to try to make their vehicles even more efficient so they can still provide choice to the consumers. All right, guys. Well, there thanks. It is. thank you for joining us. Uh, and once again, if you're all grumpy because there's not enough moving pictures, in other words, not enough video of cars in this podcast, keep in mind, this is TFL Talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and we put out about 15 to 20 videos a week. So if you go to all TFL, there's plenty of videos with us. <laughs> Off-roading cars, driving cars. Motorcycles, too. 
motorcycles, electric bikes. Yeah. Uh, just not here. This is this is kind of our our uh, podcast. So that's, that's exactly what. So we please are here. Don't, don't be grumpy uh, because you've stumbled upon TFL Talk and you want us to to be actually in the field. We're in the field a lot. Anyway, guys, thank you for joining us. Nathan, thank you for uh, taking the time. My pleasure. Uh, and as always, like I say, go to alltfl.com if you want to see TikToks and all of that stuff. Tactics yeah. and all that stuff. <laughs> all right. Take care, guys. We'll see you next time. Ciao. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.